A lady was walking down the street in a residential area, and she saw this man up on the porch sitting quite peacefully. He had a wrinkled face and weathered skin, looked very frail. And she spoke up and said, hey, tell me, what has been the secret to your life? He said, well, I smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. I drink a case of whiskey every week. I eat fast food and never exercise. She said, that's amazing. How old are you? He said, 26. (laughs) You see, we do a lot of bad things for our heart. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately as I've gotten older. And the problem is there is so much seemingly contradictory advice on how to take care of your heart. For example, did you know that in Japan, they hardly have any fat in their diet? And they have less heart attacks than the British and Americans do. But in France, they eat a lot of fat in their diet and they still have fewer heart attacks than the British and Americans. In Korea, they hardly ever drink red wine and have fewer heart attacks than British and Americans. But in Italy, they drink lots and lots of red wine and have fewer heart attacks than we Americans and British. And in Germany, they drink lots of beer and eat lots of fatty sausage and have fewer heart attacks than the British and Americans. Which leads me to conclude, it's speaking English that will kill you. Bottom line is, I'm not really sure what to say about taking care of your heart except for one thing. You need to give it a rest. And that's not so much my counsel as the Apostle John's. Open your Bibles to chapter 3 of 1 John. It's page 605 in that pew Bible if you need to look at that. And we're going to start reading... In verse 19, through the end of the chapter, and I want you to listen closely to John's advice on what to do to help your heart. This then is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Now that raises an important question. Why do our hearts condemn us? And they do, don't they? You've been accused By your heart, and I have too. Our hearts need rest, and I think there are a couple of reasons. The first is because we do not love as we should. Remember, in our text last week, John has reminded us that love is one of the three tests to differentiate between a real and a bogus Christian. A real Christian is going to 
believe that Jesus is the Son of God, come in the flesh, he's going to walk in the light, and he is going to love. In fact, John says the presence of Christ-like love is proof of new birth, of resurrection life. He said last week, we know we've passed out of death into life because we love our brothers. Now, I know my capacity to love is better than it used to be. But I know it is nowhere near what Jesus is. Much of my loving is still because of loving instead of in spite of loving. In other words, I still struggle with my flesh that only wants to love if there's a prospect of a return, that doesn't want to make a bad love investment. And we're all that way. Maybe you heard about the couple that met online at a computer dating service. He said, I don't care about looks. I just want a woman with intelligence. She said, I don't care about money. I just want a man with character. So the agency put them together because they have one thing in common. They're compulsive liars. (laughs) Because we do want to find something lovely in someone before we go and invest love in them. Right? Last week, I asked you to fill out those cards. For a second offering, a promise to love some specific face or place. And I got over 2,000 cards. I mean, this bag is heavy. And it is filled with card after card of confession to God saying, It is hard for me to love. And you filled in the blank. Why do our hearts condemn us? Because we know. We don't love like we should. What did Jesus say, remember, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5? If you love only the people who love you, you'll get no reward. Even the tax collectors do that. And if you're nice only to your friends, you're no better than other people. Even those who don't know God are nice to their friends. So you must be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, I'm not. I want to be, I see evidence of growth, but there's no way my love is perfected. An unperfected love can lead to an unrested heart. We know we don't love like we should. But I think there's a deeper problem. And that is that we're not sure God loves us. You see, you cannot give what you do not have and you can't dispense love if your own love tank is empty and here is your problem and I know it's your problem because it's my problem and it is that I have very rarely experienced truly unconditional love almost all the love we've ever received had in it some quality of needing to find in us something lovely it was almost always contingent on something about us that was worth loving we learned this as babies we were discipled as children to understand love this way you remember the princess and she's asleep and someone needs to kiss and wake her up and what's her name sleeping beauty 
She's not sleeping ugly. She had to be pretty so that she was worth being kissed, right? And how in Cinderella do we know that the stepsisters are mean? Because they are what? The ugly stepsisters. We were taught as children, do you want to be special? Do you want to be worthy? Do you want to be loved? Then you better be pretty. Or you better be smart. Or you better be really, really good at something if you want people to love you. And as a consequence, we learn some very unhealthy ways to keep our love tanks filled. Ways that I think keep our hearts restless. And so if the hair gets gray, I better color it. I'll even starve my body. If you say it's pretty and promise to love me, I'll work a few more hours. I'll get better grades. I'll hit one more home run, Dad, I promise. If you'll love me, I'll even be your codependent. I will enable you in your destructive lifestyle if you'll keep me. And you know, one of the things that we do that can be the most destructive of us all is we try religion. Now, by religion, I mean those man-based attempts to appease some deity by doing what the religion says we have to do. And the religion constantly keeps the heart restless, saying, are you doing enough to keep your deity happy? Because remember, you better be worth loving in the eyes of God of your God. And religion will always provide a bunch of people quick to condemn you and tell you you're not doing it like they say you're supposed to do it. And the truth is, I don't need their help. Because I am quite skilled at the art of self-condemnation. You can't send me a letter or an email that will beat me up any better than I can send to myself. Because I know I'm flawed. I know I don't love as well as I should. And sometimes it's just hard for me to believe that when God looks at me, He could have a smile on His face. Surely He's got to be disappointed with me. No wonder our hearts condemn us. I'm wondering if for many of us this morning, our greatest spiritual struggle is not shamelessly excusing ourselves, but needlessly accusing ourselves. I'm wondering if sometimes our hearts condemn us When our God doesn't. That seems to be what John is saying. In verse 20 look again. He says even if our hearts condemn us. God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. In other words. Feelings are never going to tranquilize a condemning heart. What John says you have to do. Is you've got to trump 
those feelings with what you know about God. Notice he said, set your heart at rest. It's your job to do it. You've got to take charge. You've got to take control. And you've got to say to your heart, I am not going to allow your condemning feelings to define who I am today. I am going to let what I know about God give my heart a rest. Well, what do we know about God? Two things. John says we know and remember what God knows. That we silence our condemning hearts with the knowledge of God. And the first thing we know about God is that God knows everything. Now you're thinking, wait a second, that makes me feel more condemned if God knows everything. No. God's perfect knowledge isn't a reason for fear. It's a reason for hope. In the Bible, His omniscience is consistently linked to His mercy. You see, God does not have to pretend you are something you are not so that He can love you. God knows exactly who you are. He knows you better than you know you. But He doesn't love because of. He loves in spite of. Because His love isn't based on your nature. His love is based on His nature. Listen to Psalm 33. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. And from His throne, He observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts. So He understands everything they do. Do you realize you've never surprised God? He's never said, hey, Jesus, come over here. Have you read this report? Did you know that happened in college? He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you've done. He knows exactly where you struggle. Every parent here understands this. You know your children sometimes better than they know themselves. And you also know that your children often want to be better than they actually are. Psalm 103. The Lord's like a father to his children. Tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he understands how weak we are. He knows we are only dust. And here's the thing. God knows we're flawed. He knows we fail. But he does not equate our raggedness with worthlessness. Many years ago, I was a young teenage boy. I was coming home from school one day. My parents were having a garage sale. I had never been to a garage sale, did not even know about such things until I got home and saw all this stuff in the garage my parents were willing to sell. And most of it was fine with me, just junk it seemed to me, it's good to get it out of the house. Until I came to one item on the table. There was a piece of paper in front of it that said 25 cents. It was my teddy bear. Now granted, it wasn't much of a teddy bear and I didn't sleep with it anymore. His name was Tim. And this is a long time ago, folks. This is back before teddy bears had lasers that came out of their eyes. And and they spoke and had battery-powered cars. He was just a floppy old teddy bear. And he had one eye coming off and his stuffing was coming out of the back and the stitching was frayed. And my mom put him up for sale. 
And I grabbed that teddy bear and I preached what probably was my first ever sermon. (laughs) And made it clear that as long as the both of us shall live, Tim was never to leave the house. Because there's no way his raggedness equated to worthlessness. My love for him is what gave him his worth. And you don't have to prove your worth to God. His love for you is what's created your worth. Paul says in Romans 5, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. It doesn't say after we cleaned our act up. He knew who we were. And if you can do anything to make God love you more, then the cross wasn't sufficient. You've got to silence that condemning heart by looking at yourself through the lens of Calvary. Do you remember when you confessed your faith in Christ? Do you remember when you were baptized, you literally participated in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and you said, I want to be united forever to Christ? Do you remember that? The Bible says in Colossians 3, verse 3, that you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so when God looks at you now, He sees Jesus. And the Bible says there is no condemnation for anyone in Christ Jesus. And so you got to remind your condemning heart of what God knows. And you've got to remember where God is. That when God sees you, He doesn't want to move on. He wants to move in. John was there that night. In fact, he was leaning on the breast of Jesus when he heard Jesus say something he couldn't wrap his mind around. Jesus said that night, John 14, If people love me, they'll obey my teaching and my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And John probably thought, how's that going to happen? How is is Jesus going to come make his home with me? If he's not with me in person. But then Pentecost came and the Spirit arrived. And remember how John finished our text this morning? He said, this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. God knew you would struggle with a condemning heart. And so one of the reasons God sent his Spirit to live in you is to overrule that condemning heart. Now, that does not mean the Spirit will never convict you. Conviction is one of the Spirit's jobs. And there will be times in your life when you're going down a road you don't need to be on. And the Spirit will prompt and tell you to turn around. But even though the Spirit will convict you to change your behavior, it will never change your status. As the beloved son or daughter of God, the Spirit will convict. He will never condemn. He was sent to overrule a condemning heart. Not just overrule that heart, but overwhelm it with the love of God. You've heard the name of Dr. Michael DeBakey, the famous heart surgeon in Houston. 
He was doing one of the first ever transplants of a plastic heart into a child. Linda Griggs from Pittsburgh, seven years old. When he got asked a question he never had been asked before, she asked him before the surgery, Doctor, is my new heart going to have a lot of love in it? And he thought a moment and he said, You know, this heart was made by hundreds of people that didn't want you to die. And so your new heart is going to have more love in it than your old heart had. And that's what happens to the new creation. Romans chapter 5 says, For we know how dearly God loves us because He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. Now, none of us are going to love perfectly until we get our resurrection bodies. Now, you understand someday that is your destiny. Someday in my resurrection body... Every word that comes out of my mouth is going to be noble. Every thought's going to be pure. Every deed is going to be selfless. Someday I'm going to love perfectly. But even now, I can think of times and I can think of ways when the Holy Spirit enabled me to love that there's no way the flesh could have produced that. There are some people in my life right now, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, there's no way I could stay in relationship with to them. And you can say the same thing. What's God doing? He is loving you by helping you love other people. He's made his home so that your heart could be at rest. My father, in a couple of weeks, is going to remarry. He has met a wonderful Christian lady. Her name is Margaret. And it's going to be a brand new stage of life for our family. Now, he's lived in his house for a long time, and it's filled with things from over 50 years of marriage. And she's had a house for a long time filled with all the uh, wonderful memories of her life. And they've got to move into one house, and that one house doesn't have room for all the memories. And so they're having to figure out what stays and what goes. And being the wise son I am, I'm staying as far away from that conversation (laughs) as I possibly can. But recently, my father, going through a shelf in the house, filled up a couple of sacks of things to bring my brother and myself. For example, I did not know that my mom had saved one of the first pair of shoes I ever wore. I don't ever remember wearing those shoes. I don't ever remember wearing this bow tie, but supposedly it was my first. My mom saved my yo-yo that I took to school every day to impress kids on the blacktop with. And then he brought out Now, you notice the eye is back on and the stuffing has been put back in and sewn up and some of the threading has been replaced. And he still isn't much of a bear. Except to me. You couldn't put a price on Tim to me. Tim and I will always be at home together. Because his worth is not created by his nature. 
It is given because of mine. And if you would ever believe that's how God feels about you, you'd give your heart a rest. And what would happen? Well, John says this is what would happen if your heart was at rest. If our hearts don't condemn us, we'd have confidence with God so that we could receive from him anything we ask and we'd obey his commands. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son and to love each other. John says if our hearts are at rest quickly, two things, we'll obey better. We will. We won't obey out of this anxious feeling that I've got to do something to impress God. We'll obey out of joy because a heart at rest doesn't get motivated by the fear of condemnation. It's motivated just to please God. And what pleases God? Trust Jesus and love people. That's what he wants. When Dan Rather was the broadcaster for CBS News, he kept a piece of paper in his wallet, one in his pocket, one on his desk. It said one thing. It's what I'm doing now, helping the broadcast. It's how he stayed focused. What's my agenda? What's job one? God says, here's job one. This is what I want. Trust in Jesus. Love people. Now here's the deal. Other folks are always going to show up in your life and try to get you to add something to the agenda. And they'll even condemn you if you don't. And I want to give you a guarantee for living your life with a restless heart. You make it your job to keep everybody else happy. I guarantee that'll do it. That's not your job. Paul said, 1 Thessalonians 2.4, Our purpose is to please God, not people. He is the one who examines the motives of our hearts. And obedience is so much less stressful when the heart's restful. It'll be a joy just to do what God asks. Love Jesus, love people. We'll obey better and we'll pray bolder. Because we'll have confidence. One thing I've learned about my kids. They're not afraid to ask me of anything. Doesn't mean they'll get it, but they're not afraid. We come before God when the heart is at rest, not as the accused before a judge, but as a child before the Father. That word confidence is used in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And in particular, in this context, I think John is saying, you can always ask God to help you love better. That is one prayer you never have to wonder is in the will of God. He will always answer the prayer to help you love better. But you cannot give what you do not have. And you are going to struggle with a condemning heart, unable to love others. Until you learn to let God love you. Last October, I had the privilege of being at a conference 
and being blessed in worship led by Stephen Curtis Chapman, well-known Christian songwriter. It was one of his first public performances since the death last May, almost one year ago, of his five-year-old daughter. He and his wife had adopted several little girls from China. Little Maria was outside playing at the house. His 17-year-old son, Will Franklin Chaplin, got in the car and was backing up. He didn't see Maria in the blind spot. She didn't see the car. And she was fatally struck in the car driven by her own brother. Will Franklin crawled out in despair, holding her limp body. Her parents rushed out, grabbed the body, put it in the car, raced off to the hospital. And in a move that I think had to be inspired by the Holy Spirit, Stephen Curtis Chapman says he rolled down that window before they took off, looking at his distraught, despairing son, and he screamed out, Will Franklin, your father loves you. As the only message, the only message that can calm the condemning heart. You need to let God love you and give it a rest. Would you bow your heads with me for a second? And Father, we, uh, we struggle. We struggle at this because the enemy is called the accuser and he is constantly reminding us of our weaknesses and flaws. We struggle because there are so many people we know ready to condemn us. We struggle because we were taught early on that only people that are worth it should be loved. And we struggle. Because we've taught ourselves how to condemn our own hearts. I pray today that we will be penetrated by the truth. That our worth comes from your love. It doesn't earn your love. It comes from your love. And now for these next few moments in silence, I'm just going to ask you to do one thing. Just focus on letting God love you. Don't believe the lie. God knows exactly who you are and thought you're worth it. Erase all those tapes in the head. Let God love you. Oh God. 
teach us how to give our hearts a rest. Teach us how to be dominated by truth and not by lies. Teach us to receive love, something we've never been very good at. Teach us to think about Jesus. That's always been job one. In his name we pray. Amen. Our elders are going to be back in the chapel to pray with you, to help you deal with whatever burden is on your heart. If you're ready to be baptized into Jesus Christ, would you come forward right now while we stand up and sing?